Well, good morning. As Adam said, my name is Don. Um, I moved up here 1st of February, became full-time. Um, I asked the Vasquez's when I first got up here how long you have to live up here to be considered a local. They said about half your life. So <laughs> I think by the time I hit 120, it isn't going to matter, you know, should the Lord tarry. I'll be, you know, drooling and, you know, carrying on as a 120-year-old, so I don't think that's going to matter. Um, but I've, it's been a wonderful four-and-a-half month venture that God has brought us on. My wife, Janelle, could you raise your hand, please? There you go. Her, her full, first full-time day was this Thursday. So for four-and-a-half months, we've been living apart, and we're delighted to be uh, rejoined. But if you could keep her in prayer, uh, after 17 years uh, working in San Diego, she starts a new job tomorrow in Blue Jay. So uh, God is indeed good. Um, one other thing that you need to know about me, and this is the most important thing, I am a sinner saved by God's amazing grace. And I believe that puts me in good company today. So uh, it's wonderful to go. You know, I've been around the world, been to different places. It's wonderful to walk into a body and say, we have a, a loving Father that we all share in common. And it's wonderful to celebrate Him today. So with that, um, the verses that we're going to be looking at, we're going to continue in Matthew, excuse me, Matthew chapter 8. So if you would turn there, and I'll open with prayer. Father, we just thank You that You are our Father, Lord, that this Father's Day, first and foremost, we can look to You. And by your grace in our lives, Lord, we can cry, Abba. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you pulled us out of the miry clay that has already been shared, Lord, and that you work in our lives in a way, Lord, that glorifies you. We ask you now, Lord, as we open your word, we ask you to bless that word as it goes forth. We ask you, Father, to just open our hearts and minds to receive from you that you would speak to us now today, Lord, that you would renew us, encourage us, strengthen us, Lord, and build us up as your children. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 8 is all about two main subjects, healing and faith. Um, uh, Tanner, first 13 verses. So he talked about um, the healing of the leper, and I love that story because what did Jesus do? He went and touched him. That's something that any Jewish, good Jewish boy shouldn't do. Um, but God's showing in that that he is above the law um, and showing his compassion. We'll see that again today. And then we also saw the story of the faith of the centurion, um, a non-Jew. So this was a marvelous thing to say, you know what, Jesus, you have authority. You don't need to come, you know, lay hands, which he doesn't. He doesn't need to be in the presence. He says, you just speak the word and it's done showing the power that he has in Jesus, we was amazed by that, because what did he say? I haven't seen any faith like that in all Israel, who have the law and the prophets, who have Moses, who have all the promises of God. And he says, here this, this goyim, this non-Jewish person who believes in me, says that I have the authority to do that. So now we continue in verse 14. Now when Peter, Jesus had come to Peter's house, they're still in Capernaum, he saw his mother's wife lying sick with a fever. So we see an interesting thing here. How many have been to Israel? Okay, I think the church needs to plan a trip. Adam, put that on your agenda. 
They say, they say a week to 10 days in Israel is worth a year of Bible college. I believe it. Um, and I would say you need to go more than once. I've been once and I definitely want to go again because that first time you go, you're like a deer in the headlights. You're seeing so much. You're taking so much in that you miss a lot. And it's not until you come back you can go, yeah, I, I remember that. I've seen that. But Capernaum to me is a special place. Um, it's on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and it's great when you go to the ruins because you're walking the streets that Jesus walked. You know, there's a lot of places in Israel, you're on the, the Sea of Galilee, you can say, well, great, we knew we were here, but we don't know exactly where. Capernaum is a small city, small and compact, and every street you can see. And when you go into the, the ruins of the synagogue there, it's now called the White Synagogue. It's built above the synagogue that Jesus taught in. So you're standing there saying, he was here. And it's an amazing thing. And the center of the city, there's an enlarged house, which they, archaeologists believe is Peter's house. Because it was enlarged after um, Peter came to the Lord to become a church. So you're there. You're going, Jesus was here. Jesus was here. It's a great thing. But notice one thing that's we're told in this verse. Um, he saw that Peter's wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So Peter had a mother-in-law. Okay, I don't know what some churches and some beliefs do with this, because there are some that say that he was celibate and all of that. He didn't have it, but I can't get past this. How do you have a mother-in-law without a wife? I mean, I, I don't think I signed up for that. I love my mother-in-law, don't get me wrong. But would I have said, you know, I'm going to choose you without my wife? I, I don't think that would have happened. But notice what the Lord does here in verse 15. So he touched her hand. Here again, we see the compassion of our Lord Jesus. Again, something that a good Jewish boy is not supposed to do. You know, you'll be uh, ceremonially unclean. But he is, again, above the law. So he has compassion. I love that about our Lord. I love, you know, we can, and there are people in the church that think that God is a, a mean father, that he stands afar off, and that, you know, he just looks on us with, disgust and shame and that's not true he sees us and he says i know that you're clay he says i know your weaknesses i know there is thing, everything about you but yet i sent my son to die for you and i love you enough to reach out and touch you in your infirmities i love that about our lord jesus but notice what happens next and he, she arose and served them so i want to take a, just a slight detour here to talk about serving Notice the response. What happened? He came, he saw her infirmity, he touched her, he healed her, and her response is to serve. And I think that's important because I think every one of us in the church today is called to service. Now you might think, okay, he's laying a burden on us. Just bear with me a moment because I want to show you what, what that service looks like. But there's three main ingredients to service, isn't there? Number one is gratitude. That's what we see in this story here. She's healed, she gets up, She's feeling better. You know, there's nothing better to me than getting out of bed after a lot. You don't, you don't want to move when you got a fever. I mean, it's one of the worst things we can have, right? But she gets up and she says, the reaction is, Let's, I want to serve. So we serve out of gratitude to Jesus. That's the number one thing. Secondly is love. It doesn't matter how I serve. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm not doing it in love, the word tells me, it's no good. Each one of us as Christians is called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the greatest motivation for service. And if it's lacking, 
and unfortunately sometimes it does in us if we're honest, we get discouraged. We get beat down. We get tired of serving. Why? Because we start looking at what we're doing physically and not what we're doing spiritually. So we have gratitude and love. The third ingredient is prayer. And that's a twofold thing that's involved in service that I want to talk about today. First of all, there are people we can see that are in ministry, if you're talking about physical ministry, that shouldn't be there because they haven't prayed. It's not about talent. So many people say, I can't serve because I'm not a gifted musician. I'm not a gifted speaker. I'm not this, that, or I'm not good with my hands. I'm not, you know, an electrician, you know. If you're not an electrician, don't mess with electricity, by the way, okay? <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about today. It's not about that because there are gifted musicians that God do not, does not call to service. There are gifted teachers that God won't use because it's more about them getting the glory than him getting the glory. So I heard this morning as we prayed that there's a need in the children's ministry. That we only have three teachers. Pray about that. You're not all called, but if you are, if God leads that on your heart, if you want to serve in love and gratitude and in prayer, then by all means, bless the kids. Okay? That's, that's available. But there's one thing that we're called to, and that's the second fold of prayer. Everyone in this room that calls Jesus Lord is called to prayer. And we need to be praying people. It's interesting that, you know, you hear people that are weak in their faith or immature in their growth, and they say, well, I don't, you know, I don't feel comfortable praying. And I look at that, and I think to myself, you don't feel comfortable talking to God? Because that's really what prayer is. Well, uh, you know, I don't know how to pray. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. It's not, you know, the these and the thous and the wouldest and the couldest and, and getting that right. It's how do you talk to your father? I mean, if my kids came to me, I know of Adam, if his son came up and said, oh, great, almighty, walking on water father, he'd go, you talking to me? You talk, no, you're not talking to me. Adam just shared, you know, we are sinful human beings, right? But we have a father who's not. And we need to, as a church, pray for one another. We need to lift up the body. We need to pray without ceasing. Paul modeled that. He, he spoke about it in Romans. Um, he, several times in his ministry he talked about it. In Romans he said, let me find the right notes. In Romans 1.9, Paul says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with in my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing... I make mention of you always in my prayers. He never stopped praying. For the Ephesians, in Ephesians 1.6, he prayed without stopping. For Timothy, he told Timothy, he says, Timothy, I pray for you night and day. Night and day. See, we look at Paul and all his great missionary trips, but I think one thing we can overlook is his prayer ministry, his prayer life. We also see in Philemon, he told Philemon, he says, I pray for you always. How would you define always? Always. Always. How many need prayer always? Okay, again, I knew I was in good company today. <laughs> then we continue to read in verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. You know, I think that Jesus needs to come today. I think there's a lot of demons that need casting out. 
I think, you know, I, I, I uh, again, new to the area, and I now work in San Bernardino. I think there's a lot of demons down there. And, and I would love to see the Lord do that. And there are a lot who need healing. What, who did he heal? What does the word say there? He healed, say this with me, all, all. Has our Lord changed? Is he still able? How many here, show of hands, have experienced miraculous healing? Take, look around the room. Keep your hands up. Look around the room. This is our God. Okay, hands down. How many today need healing? Okay, I want to take a moment right now. You guys that are around them, just lay hands on somebody. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you and we thank you, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, your word says all who came to you in faith, you healed. So, Lord, we just take that claim and we say, Lord, if it's your will, we'll heal, Lord. Lord, but if it's a greater purpose and a greater glory not to heal, Lord, we ask you to have your way. We ask you, Lord, that in all things glorify your name. And, Lord, should you heal today, we will rejoice in your goodness this Father's Day. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody needs to heal my tablet. It keeps going to sleep. Hopefully you aren't. So he has this thing, and it says, it was done in verse 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities, and he bore our sickness. So that's quoting from Isaiah 53, a beautiful, beautiful chapter in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus and his ministry here on earth. I love this about our Lord. Again, I can't say it enough. He comes near to us. He draws near. He's not one who stands afar off and says, you're unclean. You're diseased. You're sick. You're hurting. You're, you're lost. No. He says, come unto me. Come unto me. He stands at the door and knocks, doesn't he? And he says, I want to come in and have fellowship with you. I want to, I want to sup with you. The most intimate picture that we can see in the Jewish household today, they won't eat with you. Because you're unclean, you're not Jewish. I didn't understand that when I went to Israel, by the way. Just a little free story. I asked our guide, will you eat with me? He goes, no. <laughs> well, you know, what, you don't like this bacon I got on my plate? <laughs> what's, the, what's the deal, you know? But he doesn't stand afar off. Notice in verse 18, and when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. What? What? We would look at this today, so many in the church, and say, Jesus, you've got a mega church on your hands. These people are coming to you in multitudes. What are you doing walking away? But we need to understand, Jesus always keeps the main thing the main thing. Yes, he loves to heal, and he heals. Yes, he loves to cast out demons, and he cast out demons. But he came to save men's souls. He's not looking at the numbers. He looks at hearts. And I love that because he sees our hearts today. He, tell, he gives them the command that they're going to go to the other side. He's keeping the main thing, the main thing, and that's why he came. Verse 19, then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Wonderful words. We would love that, right? Hey, I'm going to follow you. We're going to go into the battle together. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds. The air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus isn't impressed by what we say. 
But he wants us to know that there's a cost to counting him, to following him, isn't there? There's a cost to be counted. Some, he says, will have to leave father and mother. Some will have to leave families. Some, some you know, will move to Running Springs. <laughs> you know, our family's in San Diego. Our church that we love dearly was in San Diego. And when they, we told them we were moving up here, they're like, what? You're doing what? But we feel God's calling to bring us here. We feel God's leading. So you have to forsake to follow Jesus. There is a cost. And then in verse 21, another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now, there's been a lot of debate about that. They're saying that perhaps, I heard teachers say that perhaps, you know, he's, wait till my dad dies and I bury him, then I'll come follow you. There are people that do that. I've heard people say that. You know, when I retire, I'm going to become a missionary. The truth is, yeah, probably not. You know, if you're not a missionary now, if you're not witnessing to the Lord now, you don't get some super pill the day you retire that's going to, you know, turn you into a Hudson Taylor. That's, you know, that's not how that works. But notice Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Focus on those two words, follow me. That applies to each and every person here today. You're not to follow a man. You're not to follow a church. You're not to follow some kind of doctrine per se, although doctrine is good. Follow Jesus. That's what we need to look for, and that's what Jesus is really saying here. Follow him, and when he says follow him, he means now, not someday in the future. Verse 23, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. So what happened? Jesus led the way. He got in first, right? That's what following is about. Not going on our own, but saying, Lord, where do you lead? And, but notice that they followed him. This whole thing, these last three verses, has been about how our relationship with the Lord is to be. That he leads, he guides, and he provides. And I love that again about our Lord. He doesn't call us to go someplace that he's not. He goes before us. And suddenly in verse 24, a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. So what happens here? Don't lose sight of this. He says, follow me. He gets into a boat. The boat is sinking. It's in a storm. You ever been there? Say, Lord, I'm following you. I'm doing what you tell me to do. And look at my life. It's a mess. It's a wreck. I'm on the Titanic. Um, one of the things in Israel that if you go there, you get to see is the, what they call the Jesus boat. It's a boat that they uh, brought up off the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. It's a typical fishing boat from the time of Jesus. It measures 27 feet long, 7.5 feet wide, and 4.5 feet on the sides. Open, and now you've got to picture this boat with 13 men in it. So it's riding low in the water to begin with, Right? And the Sea of Galilee, if you look at that, it's surrounded on the west side by very high mountains. There's a canyon on the northern edge, and when the winds, similar to our Santa Ana's, come off the Mediterranean, they hit that funnel, and they hit the Sea of Galilee, and they say it can turn from flat to seven-foot waves in a heartbeat. So here you have these guys that are in this boat, and the boat is being covered, it says. No kidding. The waves are way bigger than the boat. You know, it's that, hey, Adam, we need to get a bigger boat. Anyway, we're in, in the wrong thing. But don't, take side, don't lose sight of this either. In verse 25, the disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. Remember that they're, uh, the majority of them are fishermen. 
They've been on the Sea of Galilee. They've earned their livelihood there. They're in their wheelhouse, if you will. And they say, we're going down by the head, Lord, save us. Isn't that how God works sometimes? He takes us to our strength. And I'm amazed to look at this story and understand, where did they just come from? Keep it in context. He had many come to him, and he was casting out demons, and he's healing. And it's like they didn't get it. So the Lord says, you know, we got to go. we got to go over here, guys. Let's, let's, go, let's go drown. See if, I, see if I can get your attention there. And, and he finally, he's working something here. But we need to understand something. And, and this, you uh, more mature Christians, you know this, you understand this. He works through the storms. I've been in areas of my life, my wife and I, in our 36 years of marriage. We've, we've been there. We've said, God, what are you doing? But he's brought us through. And when you get to the other side, um, oh, okay, Lord, thank you. Thank you. They lost sight of who God is. They lost sight of what Psalm um, 23, verse 4 says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Who got in the boat first? Jesus. Who's at sleep? Who's at rest? Jesus. We need to be there, guys. I know you guys, I've heard, have been through a tumultuous year. But I want to encourage you with these words. Rest in Jesus. He's got a plan. He hasn't forsaken this place. And he never will. And he will fulfill his purpose and his plan in his time. So rest in that and be encouraged in that. But notice what he says to them in verse 26. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Now, it's interesting terms, and this is why we study the word. The word fearful, it's only used three times in Scripture. Twice is in this story here, in Matthew and in Mark. The third time is in the book of Revelation. Revelations chapter 21, verse 8, where he says the fearful, the doubtful, the unbelieving will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who's he talking to again? Disciples. And he says, you guys lack of your, your ability to fear, the amount of fear that you have in your life is a dangerous place. He says, you have that faith. And one of the things I was going to do today, but I forgot in my preparedness this morning, was he said, you know, their little faith. How little was their faith? The Bible tells us that we have, if we have the faith of a mustard seed, and I have mustard seeds. I brought from Israel. They're at home. I meant to put them in my pocket, and I got sidetracked and didn't do it. Um, but if I held it up, you guys in the back of the room wouldn't be able to see them. They're that small. He says, if you have faith that small, you can move mountains. So how, how much lack of faith do, this, do these fishermen have, do these disciples have? These ones that have seen Jesus in his ministry and seen what he's done, and yet they still lack that faith. He says, you need to have faith. And that's where we're at today. Do not be fearful. I love what happens. He rebukes the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. What happened here? They went from a, they were following Jesus, right? Good thing. They hit a great storm, bad thing. And in an instant, they're in a great calm. That's what our God can do. That's the power that he has. Don't look at the storm. Look to Jesus. 
Verse 27, so the men marveled, saying, who can this be? See, that's why I said I don't think they got it with all the demons being cast out and people being healed because it takes them to be going down by the head, thinking that they're going to die. And, you know, again, we don't want to be too hard on them because we can do the same thing, can't we? Somebody can come to you and they've come to me and said, you know what, God, God did a miracle and healed me. And we go, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then all of a sudden we're diagnosed with a disease. Lord, help me. Help me now. Lord, can't you see? You know, we, we get there, don't we? So we, uh, that's why I had everybody raise their hands, and I want you to remember that because we need to time from time remember what God has done for us, what our Heavenly Father has done, and how he's blessed us with the miraculous, and he still does today. Now, when he came to the other side, uh, to the country of the Gergesenes, in verse 28, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. So again, never lose sight of the picture. He was on the Capernaum side, the north end of Galilee. The ministry is being blessed. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. He says, let's get in a boat. Let's go to the eastern side. Okay, and in the midst, by the way, guys, we're going to go through a storm. You okay with that? You all good? Okay. They get there, and, and notice, he left the multitude, and again, I love this about Jesus, to go minister to the two. He'll minister to one, won't he? We can all testify of his goodness in that. And suddenly, in verse 29, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? This is some spooky stuff here, isn't it, folks? The, the disciples don't have a clue as who he is, but the demons do. What have we to do with you? We got nothing to do with you. And then they just tell him, Jesus, the Son of God. You know, what did the disciples say just before that? That previous verse, what did he say? What did they say? Who can this be? The demons have no doubt. Jesus, you're the Son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? I've got that highlighted and underlined in my book. Before the time. There is, they know their day, their numbers are set. They know there is coming a day when they will be in torment forever. And they're not looking forward to that. And I think that's the, the story that we need to share with the unsaved. Is say, you know what? God came so that you can escape that future. That you can have the blessed hope of his coming. Verse 30, now a good way off from there, there stood a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went out into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished into the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told them everything, including, notice this, what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Oh, you know those two guys you can't get near? The demons are gone. But the demons went into the pigs, and now the pigs are gone. And behold, the whole city came to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Sad, sad story right here, folks. He came over on a special trip, and what do they do? They are more concerned about a herd of pigs than they are two men's souls. I think we could take this passage about the Gergesenes, and we could say it was the country of America. 
There's been more outrage lately about the shooting of a gorilla, and yet there's not a word said that daily 3,000 unborn children are killed with the government's blessing. Jesus has been asked to leave America. We can't have him here. We can have everything else in this country right now, but don't bring religion here. Separation of church and state, right? Wrong. Take down that cross, right? I, was, I was, found it funny the other day. I was driving down the freeway and I see a, a Prius. You know, they always have the weirdest bumper stickers. I don't know what, <laughs> I, you know, Prius is a nice car. Don't get me wrong. Don't be offended. But you can always see, I seen this lady driving down the road and she's got this atheist bumper sticker. And next to it, she has the coexist bumper sticker. And I'm thinking, who's suing to get crosses removed? Who's suing to have the Ten Commandments removed from the Supreme Court? Who's suing to get Christianity removed from schools, from public sphere, everything? The atheist. But that she's got this coexist. She's one confused lady. She really is. But that's our country, isn't it? We need to pray for our country. What's going to change America? Jesus can. And only Jesus can. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who your congressman is. And I encourage you to vote. I absolutely do. But we need Jesus back in this country. And we need to, the church, if no one else, is going to proclaim that separation of church and state is a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. So we need to do that. Otherwise, we can be exactly like those Gurgishtines. We're just saying to Jesus, we'll have you here in this building. We love you in our lives, but not in our society. And I tell you, that's, that's a bad, bad place to be. Jesus just doesn't force himself, does he? After that, he leaves. They ask him to leave, and he leaves. People say today, you know, after the recent shooting, where was your God? You told him to leave. It's the same answer that we gave after 9-11. Where was God during that tragedy? He was there. But, he, but his protection was removed, wasn't it? Because we said, Jesus, you have no place here. So I would encourage you as the church today to fight that. To stand for the truth. That's what we need to do today. We need to be men and women of the truth. In closing, I have an assignment for you this Father's Day. Get alone in a quiet place on the mountain with your Heavenly Father. Spend some time with Him today as you rejoice in, in fathers today. He is the greatest. And He is the one that we should really be looking to. Read Isaiah 53. Pray over it. See what God has to say to you through that wonderful verse. If you ever need to witness to a Jewish person, Isaiah 53, write it down. I've heard Jewish people who have, people have read that to them and said, so who's that talking about? They go, Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus, but you just told me that that talks about Jesus. Know today that wherever you are, wherever the Lord leads you, He's with you. And He loves you. He loves Calvary Chapel Running Springs. You have not been abandoned, but, he, but He's taken you through a storm, hasn't He? Still here? He says, just look to me. Look to me and I will lead. Remember this, what the word of God says. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing, say this with me, nothing can separate us from the love of God 
which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Going to ask the worship team to come up. Hopefully I didn't go too long. I know you guys got Father's Day things to do, and I know I do too. But I want to leave you with this. If you need prayer, we want to pray with you. We love to pray with you. Um, so come on down. If you need prayer for healing, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Lord has spoken to your heart today, if you're here because it's Father's Day and you were invited, we would love to pray with you. We just want to talk to Jesus. It's not some scary, spooky thing. But I encourage you, and I know Adam would as well. Come, and let's pray. Let's get things settled with God today. Amen? Let's all stand for a closing song.